0: Much of the clothing we wear is made of cotton, which uses a hefty amount of water and pesticides to produce. Is there a more sustainable fiber? I'm Robert Colangelo and this is Green Sense, where we bring you the latest eco-innovations like Alginit, which is developing durable yet rapidly degradable yarns from kelp, one of the most regenerative organisms on the planet. We're joined by Alginit co-founder, CEO, Tessa Callahan. Tessa, welcome to Green Sense.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you have a background in fashion design. Uh, what led you to believe that seedweed could be used as a textile fiber to replace
1: cotton? Sure. So, during the last year of my education at FITE, the Fashion Institute of Technology, um, I was connected with a group that was participating in the Bio Design Challenge in 2016 and ended up joining the team. Um, And with that we were looking to see if we could find better alternatives for designers like ourselves to use within the fashion industry. And so, with that we basically created a set of parameters that we knew we needed both as designers and as innovators so we knew that we needed it to perform in existing manufacturing systems being that. You know, the fashion and textile supply chains are so deeply ingrained in the way that we produce and consume goods. Um, we know that we needed a new raw material source, um, but one that, in order to scale at a global pace, would need to be not only widely available and accessible, but also, you know, environmentally beneficial in order for us to target true sustainable impact. And so, with some of these parameters, it really narrowed down our scope to a select few species. And, you know, after further research, we found um, seaweed and a seaweed called kelp, where biopolymers were readily extracted for things like cosmetics and food products um, and whose systems were already, you know, pretty well established in research. And so for us, we wanted to find a way to take that and just put it into a different industry. And for us, that was textiles.
0: That's pretty fascinating. So let's get a little bit into the technicalities of uh, how textiles are made. Um, Tell us a little bit more about the variety of kelp or seaweed that's used and what kind of a process does it go through so that it can get into a textile fiber?
1: Sure. So... Seaweeds and kelps in particular are grown widely throughout the world Um, and we are particularly focused on laminarias, which are grown mainly in northern hemisphere and cooler coastal waters Um, and so for us we source biopolymers that are extracted so we really want experts to be the experts in what they're already doing so we're working and not becoming the harvesters and extractors, but rather purchasing this already available raw material. And the way that that works is pretty much that the kelp is harvested, dried, and then goes through a pretty straightforward process at those extraction facilities to um, extract the biopolymers that we work with. And then from there, what we do is basically create our proprietary blend. So taking upwards of 75% of this polymer, um, and adding various additives that allow us to work with fiber production facilities. So basically, we create a raw material that is called dope in the industry, which uh, can finally get confused for other natural products. Um, And then that goes into a fiber extrusion Um, facility where the dope is extruded basically through a showerhead and then we turn the solution into a solid throughout that process and then it gets chopped up into small fibers so think about if you were to pick cotton they're not continuous they're short they're called staples and then those are spun into yarns that can then be either knit or woven into textiles and used for the products that surround us every day um, from your shirts to your cars to your um, bed sheets
0: well that makes a lot of sense being a startup you don't want to have all your capital invested in uh, all these different operations where you can outsource that so that uh, that's great uh, concise explanation Let's talk about the environmental benefits uh, why is this better than cotton?
1: yeah that's a really good question um, and I think that for what it's worth cotton, can be a really great and viable fiber for many reasons. However, I think that it's a little bit less known that it has a really negative environmental impact to an extent, even if it's organically grown, which removes most of the pesticides that are typically used. However, cotton not only takes up a a mass amount of arable land, Um, as well as a really massive amount of fresh water and energy usage to turn it from a seed into a crop and then into a textile. So, for example, each kilogram of cotton yarns that are produced requires over 10,000 liters of water, which is drastic.
0: That's impressive. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And so for us, you know, one of the real beauties of what we're doing and, and of kelp is that it's grown in water. It doesn't require fresh water to be grown. It doesn't require pesticides. In the processing we remove all the toxic chemicals that are typically used for other fiber production. So we're really looking at this from a holistic perspective and eliminating the environmental impact that is created not only by cottons and the water and energy, but also in the fossil fuel usage and synthetics like polyester.
0: So Tessa, one of the advantages of cotton is its ability to wick up moisture. So if you're perspiring and you wear cotton clothes, they first feel nice against your skin, but they also have that added wicking benefit. How does the kelp-based textiles work in that, that respect?
1: sure so there are a lot of properties of our fiber and of you know the biopolymers and and kelp that we work with that we're still really looking to explore Um, and a big part of that as well is the products and the particular finishes that they're made with Um, and so for us we're really excited about some of the extra performance characteristics that we bring Um, Moisture wicking and cooling is one of the things that we're definitely looking into and really eager to get some third-party testing so that we can make sure all of our claims are valid.
0: When we talk about the environment, we have to talk about economics. Talk a little bit about the cost uh, and if there's a cost difference between using kelp-based polymers or uh, cotton.
1: Sure. So this is actually one of the reasons why we were so inspired and motivated to work with Kelp being that it's, you know, widely available ready readily produced and that it's a massively growing industry means that your costs are a lot less expensive than, for example, creating a biosynthetic from scratch. So currently um, we're still in the development phase of our product and our production and so because of that we're producing at quite small scales which means that our costs are exorbitantly higher than they will be when we reach scale. However, in the upcoming few years, as we scale up our production, as we enter commercial facilities, we anticipate the economies of scale really having a big effect, and looking at you know target prices that are competitive with organic cottons and fibers of that nature.
0: With more people starting to eat seaweed, uh, especially globally, there's a lot of competition for it as a food source. And now there's a competition as a source of uh, fiber for textiles. Tell us about those two competing interests and who's going to win.
1: That's a great question. Um, And one that's probably a little bit difficult to answer. I think that there are a lot of factors that go into this. Um, One of which is that, you know, the the seaweed harvesting industry in itself is really growing, not only because of the accessibility that it has for um, local farmers, but also there's a lot of government and you know scientific incentives that are showing the positive impacts that it has on the environment. And so what's available today is going to be drastically increased in the upcoming decades as we see that growth and understanding really taking hold. And, you know, it's actually interesting because we've been talking to a lot of suppliers and a lot of harvesters, some of which are well-established and others that, you know, have just recently taken hold and and gotten their production off the ground or their harvesting off the ground. Um, and it seems that there's actually somewhat of a difficulty because there's only so much kelp that people really want to eat or or can eat as as a matter. Um, And so really they're looking for additional industries to input their products into so that they can justify their larger growths.
0: When we started to uh, plant corn to process into ethanol as a fuel for cars, you're now starting to have a competition for that land. Uh, Do you use it to uh, grow corn to feed people, or to grow uh, feed cows that we eat, or do you use it as a fossil fuel? So, um, do you think that that we can possibly get into that same situation with seaweed and kelp?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the case when it comes to any crop, and when you start thinking about monoculture, I. Don't by any means think that our product is the only solution and should be the only fiber out there. Um, Not only is it important to diversify the species that we're working with in terms of um, natural fibers, but also making sure that we're diversifying the end uses for kelp. And so, um, currently, there's plenty to go around, but if we are ever getting to the point where that consumption and production is much more competitive, I think both industries would need to collaborate in order to find solutions so that we're not completely depleting the organism and that we're still able to thrive in the various industries that we're inputting into.
0: Well, tell us some of the fun stuff. What does the final product look like?
1: Sure, so the final product looks very similar to the textiles and and fibers that you're familiar with. So, you know, we're creating staple fibers and and yarns that really look and function like other natural fibers like viscose and rayon, um, and blend really nicely with other materials as well. So our key goal is, of course, to make the best product possible, but also for it to be something that isn't alienating to consumers. It's really key for this to fit seamlessly not only into the production but also into your wardrobe and into the products that you use every day.
0: What kind of garments can this be made into?
1: Sure so just like any fiber like cotton for example there's a plethora of products that it could be made into and the biggest defining factor with that is usually the yarn construction or the yarn spinning and the textile construction. And so for us, we're making sure that we're able to diversify so that we want to make yarns that are able to fit into your shoes, um, be your favorite t-shirt, and also maybe be your curtains or the lining of your car. And so in doing that, we're really able to have the largest impact possible because we're not just picking one singular product that we're able to be applied into.
0: Tell us a little bit about your business model. Are you a manufacturer of the yarn, or do you actually take it all the way through to make uh, components? Uh, Not components, the the final product.
1: Yeah, um, this is actually one of our founding principles in that we really want to make our products as accessible and available as possible. As well as really highlighting the talents and skill sets that so many people and probably every person brings to the table, and so for us, we're selling directly to brands and designers, so that they can really dictate and work with their consumers to create the products that work best for their industry and for their ethos.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the uh, end of the life cycle. What happens to your product? Does it biodegrade? Can it be recycled?
1: Sure. So we want to make sure that when we're creating our products, everything that goes in and everything that then comes out is bio-derived and and bio-based. And so because of that, and with that our products are biodegradable and ideally with, you know, third-party certifications, compostable as well. Um, We really want to make sure that we're creating circular ecosystems that the fashion and textiles industry can really thrive in. Recycling is really fascinating as well and something that we plan to look into in the future. However, this is also an entirely different step that then relies on additional infrastructure to be built and created in order to break down and recycle our materials. And so based on the developments of the industry and how recycling becomes more accessible, which we can see for a number of other fibers, we'll definitely see if that's something that's viable for us as well. Um, I think however we're able to introduce and and promote circularity, we'll really target that.
0: On the sales end, do you have any interested uh, customers?
1: Yeah, we're... I mean, I'm personally very honored um, by the amount of positive outreach that we've received from the industry, and was actually one of the main factors in us actually starting our company. After we had won the BioDesign Challenge in 2016, we started receiving, you know, small tricklings of interest from different brands and, and different industry partners, and really considered that maybe this is something the industry needs and and we really need to work to commercialize it. And so over the last three and a half years, we've really received a lot of eagerness and, and potential and are super excited to onboard with some of these companies and suppliers so that we can work to help them solve some of their biggest challenges.
0: It takes a lot of positivity and tenacity to be an entrepreneur. What's your biggest challenge? (laughs)
1: I feel like I've got a plenty of optimism. So I wouldn't say it's that. Um, I would definitely say it's juggling reality versus um, expectations and ambitions. And so when working with the team and, and working with some of our partners, it's our job and my job to provide the optimism and positive outlook that I know we can bring, while also managing our expectations and understanding the timelines that are associated with new material development. And so as much as I would love more than anything to have a globally available product that we could be distributing tomorrow, we also need to be realistic in that it does take time and that's okay because we're getting to our goals and we want to be diligent.
0: Well, I love your passion and uh, I like your energy and really wish you the best of luck. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I hope uh, you, you reach and exceed all your goals.
1: Thank you so much. It's been quite a pleasure and looking forward to hearing more and listening to the upcoming podcasts and shows.
0: That's Tessa Callahan, Alginet co-founder and CEO. I'm Robert Calangelo. This is Greensense. Subscribe to our podcast at GreensenseFarms.com, and check out the Greensense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM WBBM Chicago.